Welcome, listeners, to the newly renamed Bit Picking Podcast, in which we shoot the breeze about software engineering. I'm Mark. I'm Greg. Hey, Greg. Hey, Mark. How are you today? I'm pretty good. I'm just uh, recovering from all the great talks uh, that we heard at uh, the Redevelop conference. We did. We had a great time. And this is our Redevelop special. We got a chance after the conference to sit down with some of the speakers and some of the attendees and get their thoughts on what they'd heard during the day. It was slightly challenging conditions for our microphones, uh, so apologies for some of the sound quality you were here at the beginning and some of the loud music later on, but we hope that you'll enjoy it. Let's get on with it. Okay, we're live, not live in your ears, but live recording from the after party from Redevelop 2018. Part A. Hi, Mark. Hi, Greg. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. I've got a beer. Yeah, I'm feeling I've got pretty good. Yeah, so we've had a great day. Uh, nine talks was it uh, I th- oh, count something like that yeah um, very interesting topics um, and we're at the after party we're going to get a few of the speakers in get a few of the delegates in delegates sounds very posh doesn't it they're more like yeah, attendees <laughs> that's an American thing yeah. yeah yeah. they're just normal people they're just like you and me no they're, they're extra special <laughs> <laughs> you insist um, we're going to ask them what uh, what they got from the conference what did they like what they didn't like and why shouldn't we ask ourselves? Let's welcome Tom Quay. Tom Quay, that's it. Yeah, from uh, Base and Passenger. Are you related to Finley Quay? Um, no, but my uh, nickname at university was Finn. Oh, on the basis. because of that. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite cool. E- even after all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's, he's done this before. Yeah, he's had a drink. In post, we'll put a music bed on, of yeah. even after all. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be exceptional. Uh, so, welcome. Yeah, we're, um, we're live on the Bit Picking podcast. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. How, um, how did you find today? Um, the first hour was a little stressful, as, yeah. as, as they always are. But um, yeah, no, it seems to have gone really well. Everyone seems to be having a good time now. I think everyone's learned a little bit. Um, it's been a good day. So we're asking everyone what their takeaway is. So you're no different. I know you've probably got to be diplomatic, but what do you think? What was your favourite talk and, and why? It's a really good question, but I, I didn't actually get to see all of the talks because I was in and out. So, uh, so the, the talks that I did see, um, I think my favourite one was the, the last one, Stuart's. The UX of text. UX of text, absolutely. Yeah, it was, um, it was really, I think, really interesting from kind of the perspective of what's coming you know I think when you start to think about all of the the voice assistant technology that's out there I think yeah it's really kind of interesting to sort of you know we, we go around the houses with our kind of design ideas and how we kind of you know make buttons and interfaces and I think he's absolutely right it's all going to change I think we've got to be we've got to be thinking about that stuff now so, yeah yeah so I think his message was you um, like you hire designers to design graphics you should hire authors to design your um, voice interfaces so can you see that that might be something you would do for passenger yeah how, how, have you like have you thought about i'm putting you on the spot now but um have you thought about how this relates to to passenger not no, the voice stuff is great because i think you know it's, it's an interface isn't it i mean it's an interface to a system and i think you know there are there are lots of use cases for something like Passenger, which is a, a system for public transport operators. I mean, there's, there's lots of there's lots of use cases for people to speak to um, to Alexa and ask for you know journey plans and, right, uh, okay, and ticket yeah. renewals and all these kinds of things, so that people can 
travel the next day nice and easily or you know in a few minutes before they, they go and you know catch their bus or whatever it might be there's there's plenty of use cases for that kind of stuff i think interestingly on the the, the public transport operator side there's there's a huge amount of influx of um uh, communications from customers when things go wrong when the network breaks um or you know buses don't turn up or uh, people get stuck out in the rain, the bus doesn't stop, this kind of stuff. I think there's a huge amount of influx of angry um, customer service okay, type yeah, interaction. Yeah. And there was, a, there was a really good talk today. I can't remember the chap's name, but it was... Uh, I think uh, it was you're talking about uh, Dan Harvey. Dan Harvey, the outrage Dan, economy. absolutely. The, the New Yorker Dan, he was brilliant. And he's just this, this, this idea that, you know, perhaps we could build systems that encourage us as users to be nicer to each other. Yep. And I think when you think about the customer service teams that are taking this uh, abuse, and a lot of it is abuse, we see a lot of it coming through the system. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're working in that job every day, um, it's not your fault that you know the, the thing hasn't worked. You know, you are doing your best, you know, often yeah. around the clock to, to to get this stuff sorted again and make it right. And I think if we can build a an interface for the customer that is, you know, rightly upset in the moment, um, to maybe consider that there is a, you know, a, a human being at the other end of this who is doing their damnedest to, to make that situation. Yeah. Right. And I think it might just make them a little bit nicer. Yeah. And that's really cool. So yeah. Um, yeah so that might, for me, I suppose that that's a really awesome takeaway. Is is, is can we make our system passenger um, a little bit more, um, you know, useful to the to the people that are running these systems behind the scenes and, and make that can, kind of interaction nicer. Can we consider this the paid placement that we discussed Absolutely. a few minutes ago? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. We, we talked about monetizing we, we, the we've podcast. We've monetized, Craig. We've monetized. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, um, Thanks, what, what, one of the things that was talked about at the, at the very start of the day was, was Tor talking about uh, uh, unpredictably rational, uh, which is all about users using your applications in ways that you hadn't foreseen, but yes. in hindsight are... Are, are very obvious. Um, do you think there's any lessons in terms of the way that you guys build apps? Uh, you know, do, do you do you do you face those kind of situations where you're you're trying to predict what people are going to do, but actually you you find it, yeah, it doesn't quite pan out that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing we did was build a, a Google form into our kind of first instance of Passenger, and that was designed for users to tell us what was good about the app, what was bad about the app, and and, and soon we discovered that the users just wanted to vent about all the things that were wrong. About the app or just in no, their life? No, no, well, yeah, about everything. It, you know, it felt like a one-way cancelling session. I mean, we were, we were getting all sorts of, you know, people sitting or on their commute um, just ranting about all these different things and, yeah. and actually by accident we ended up learning a huge amount about public transport and, and yeah. what people were frustrated by we've just been through a, a situation with a, a customer you know, we have an API where users of our system can tell us that we're missing something we need to add something and we said to a customer we can give you this API he said don't give us that because all you'll get is people ranting about about stuff. They won't be going, "Oh, you're missing this," or "Can I have that?" They'll be saying, "It doesn't bloody work." Yeah. Right? So, like, you just don't don't. Uh, is is this a cue to just not get feedback from people? Do you think? I don't know. But I think Tom's saying, we, even with that fear, he got that feedback. True. And then he learned some stuff, right? I mean, I'm, I'm talking no, for you now. No, you're that right. you wouldn't have got otherwise. So I think the, the the guy you spoke to was wrong. I think you should you should deploy it anyway. 
maybe. <laughs> I, maybe I, think, uh, <laughs> I, I think one of the first things I learned working in the, in that kind of you know high intensity industry of you know, always on public transport was that as a as, as a provider of that you have to have a very thick skin. And I think the trouble with having a thick skin as, a, as an operator or a member of staff as part of an operator team is that you you almost just ignore every bit of feedback, every bit of ranting, every you know. So, I, but actually, in there is some really useful stuff. If you can yeah. say, well, yeah, we, we've we've screwed up, we've done all these things wrong, we haven't you know got you to where you need to be, but actually, in this sentiment of loads of angry people or loads of people that are kind of you know saying how they feel there is some really valid stuff that we can take so, but i think it's just dialing the kind of and just understanding the you know, i think the, you need that stuff I, you made me think there that it, if you do have a thick skin you can discount it very easily oh yeah. that's just an angry yeah. customer yeah. Oh, oh we know about that already. and that's really dangerous because i yeah. think you, you, you've got there's so much value in there that you actually end up just just chucking out everything with the bathwater and there's yeah a, you know if, if you can be really enough, I, I mean i read a tweet a couple of days ago where someone said uh, and there was debate around whether this was entirely accurate but as a junior developer when someone requests requests a feature that already exists you know a junior developer would say lol dumb user you know, and, uh, yeah, yeah. and a sort of middle-level developer would kind of say, "Well, you know, well, I'll file a bug or whatever." And a senior developer would say, "Oh, there's some usability problem in our application. That means yeah. that people can't can't find it." And that, yeah. that's sort of, I think, what you're saying. You, you've got to really, you can't just dismiss this stuff. I think, I think, as an aging in, person in this industry, I think the fact that someone has given you the time, you know, their time to feedback, even if it's angry, even yeah, if yeah, you know, yeah. it's frustrated, or there's a lot of expletives in there, it's they've given you time to tell you what you th- they think. And, yeah. you know, as a product person, a product designer, product manager, product owner, whatever your role in, in our bit, you are, that's what you want, is people to give you the feedback. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether it's good, bad, ugly, you, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, you know. So, yeah. um, so coming back to, to redevelop and the, and the conference, this is your fourth year Yep, fourth year over the, over now? five. So we, we took a year out last year. Yep. Um, I think going to the BIC as opposed to Pavilion Dance where we, we staged the, the, the event today um, almost you know killed us. So uh, to, to bring it back a little bit to a more intimate venue was, um, was a really good choice. And I think um, of the 180 seats that we've got there, we, we sold 170. So it was, it was a really good vibe. And I think it just shows yep. that Bournemouth's got um, and the surrounding area's got a really good, you know, interested developer scene and, and product scene. So yeah. yeah, it was really encouraging to see so, that many. So people. next year's on. I think we could safely say the next year is on. You um, heard it here first, yeah, folks. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Can I get, <laughs> my, a commitment can I get now. my ticket now? Early, early, early. Absolutely. Bird. Early, early. Super, bird, super yeah. early bird. Yeah. yeah. All right. Nice. Great. I think that's great. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, Thank you very much, Tom. gentlemen. Thank yeah, you very much. We look forward to next year. So we're here with Stuart Langridge host of the Bad Voltage podcast. Thank you very much for the advert. Fellow, <laughs> and, fellow and, podcaster. And also uh, did a talk today called The UX of Text. I did. Do you want to give us in, in 15 words or less a summary of what that talk is about? 15 words or less might be a push, but I'll, I'll do what I can. Okay, right, that's 10 left. of them already. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much everyone's got an Amazon Echo or a Google Home. Pretty much everyone uses a messaging app of some kind, whether that's WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger, or possibly 25 messaging apps. It's possible to deliver apps, deliver services, through text on both of these platforms without a problem. But everyone who's currently doing chatbots, doing Alexa skills, is terrible at it. And that's because 
the people who are writing the copy are programmers. What we really need, we don't need programmers, we need authors, we need poets rather than artists to build the next generation of applications which aren't around graphics and how rounded the, but the corners on your buttons are, but about how you guide a conversation without seeming to guide a conversation. That's a real skill, it's a skill generally programmers don't have, and what I want to do is start a conversation about how we do it and who we should be talking to. So that was 15 in base 438. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was slightly longer than than you asked for, but nonetheless. I thought um, your, your talk was one of my favourites, actually. I really liked it. He says That's... that to everyone. <laughs> yeah, I, when you listen back, you'll see it. Everyone we talk to will have this. None, nonetheless, I should take it at face value and say that it's very kind of you. Thank but you. But one, one of the things I really liked, which has nothing to do with your content, was that you just went straight into it. There wasn't this whole, I'm Stuart, and here's like 10 years of backstory. It was just, this is what I'm going to talk about. And I really appreciated that. I really thought, that's good. I you know? um, There were two reasons for that. Um, one, terribly self-aggrandizing, and one not. Um, first of all, yes, I, I agree with you. Um, that It's not really germane. If someone wants to understand who I am and how I got to this point they're welcome to come and buy me a pint and ask um, and to some extent I mean I'm here at least partially because I work for myself and ideally some people will have seen the talk and then ring me up afterwards and say come and talk to my company for your day right yeah. that's, but, a, but, that's but, another pay placement I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll sorry, collect the cash later sorry, the, the, this podcast may contain advertising <laughs> but, but because I mean you know it's not the only reason I, mean, I, I like supporting this kind of conference I like grassroots things like redevelop and so on and so forth but the second reason is that my talk's got quite a compelling beginning well I'm talking about um, the cave paintings at Lascaux yeah, and so yeah, on cool. and it doesn't work if halfway through this slightly deliberately written to be evocative and inspiring beginning i stop and give people a biography (laughs) so yes so when um we met before you did your talk and i said that i had a background in this kind of thing but i didn't tell you the conclusions we came to uh, as in we built a chatbot and actually it was when i worked with mark so we, we it's the same story um and so one of the things I was interested in was whether you would advise chatbots or these text interfaces to pretend to be human or not. And you said no, they Correct. shouldn't. And we went through that for a long time. And when I was in the in product, we took a lot of time thinking about that. And I'm pleased to say we decided not to do that. Well played. And we created um, an, an avatar for our chat interface that was intentionally not human. And actually, at the time, I remember it was against the grain. And everyone else, I mean, this was text, so it wasn't voice. We weren't doing yes. voice, to, voice to text or text to voice at the time. Um, but, but, it's, but it's the same thing. This same is kind thing, of what yeah, I'm getting yeah. across in the talk, right? Whether it, when you, uh, secret out there, for those of you who are not developers, when you speak into an Amazon Echo, it turns it into text before sending it to the skill or the chatbot on the back end. So, so from a from a services point of view, it receives text. It doesn't. It, it neither knows nor cares whether that was spoken into a Google Home or typed, typed into yeah. a chatbot interface on the website or into um, Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp or whatever. Mm. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, well, that, no, that was it. So it caused a, quite a lot of consternation where. We, um, you know, people thought, no, these people, you know, users want to know that they're talking to a human. But because we couldn't be as good as a human, it it, it felt, 
like we were tricking them. And that, I, I think that was one of the messages you made in your That um, is exactly the point. Um, if you if you attempt to be a human, you will fail because being a completely reactive human requires the Star Trek computer. Right? We have to crack the strong AI problem to do that, yeah. which no one has. Possibly no one's ever going to, but certainly no one's going to do the next couple of years, right? But, but you sound you sound quite hopeful for the future of, of voice as an interface. I, I totally do sound... And, and personally, I find today I'm not very hopeful, given the experience that I have with Alexa and Siri. Ah, uh, well, you see, when you say the experience... Um, have you used so you've got an Echo or an Echo Dot I've got, I've got an Echo yep right. and, and, so and you've I, used I, I suppose, Siri on the iPhone I suppose I have two problems well, one is that Siri just doesn't understand me a lot of the time particularly when I'm driving and I end up swearing at it most of the time uh, the other one is that I feel a bit daft talking to Alexa sometimes when I'm at home when okay. there's no one there, and, okay. I, and, and it's hard for me to pretend that there's someone there to talk to. So, two separate issues there. Um, the reason Siri doesn't understand you is because Apple have criminally underfunded it for the last three or four years. They, they stole a march on everyone by being out there first with Siri, but then they, it's been terribly denigrated, and they have very recently learned their lesson about this, because they were in first, they could have owned this market, and they didn't. They've now seen Amazon and Google come along and create a market out of nothing for this. And they've recently started um, refunneling uh, a bunch of cash and a bunch of attention into Siri. So expect to see it get better in leaps and bounds. Yeah. So do not judge the state of the art by Siri. Uh, look at look at the Echo, look at Google Home. Depending, uh, the, basic, the reason to choose between those two is whether you're heavily invested in the Google ecosystem or not. If you are heavily invested in the Google ecosystem, choose the Google Home because then it can it can draw in things like what's in your calendar, what you got by email, what's in your Google Keep lists, and so on. If you're not particularly heavily invested in that, the Echo is better. Okay, so that's the second thing, speaking out loud, is a reasonable portion of my talk was about, and a reasonable portion of my thinking about this is around social norms. What's normal to do when talking to a computer i mean you said there you have the example of pretending to be a human and i said don't do it because we'll fail at it but equally if you pretend if you tell people i am a computer they will attempt to speak to you in computer ease yes and you, you made the example of, of telling alexa to shut up yes right, as a great example of that was um, and that was a remarkable control. example on my part because that was the first time I found myself reacting naturally to yes. a computer. What, what happened was um, I was using it to play music and a phone call arrived just on my phone. And, and so I wanted Alexa to shut up. And without thinking, I just turned to her, Alexa, shut up. And it shut up. And I thought, wow, that, was, that wasn't me saying, Alexa, cease process or something. <laughs> yeah. I reacted to it just like I would with a person. And it responded in the way I expected. That's how you make your software your product come alive but, i mean the question is how did you make it up to her later <laughs> <laughs> you were so rude yeah, yeah. how well, dare you and, well i mean i've been having a whole bunch of conversations one of the advantages here we're at the after party for redevelop right and so one of the advantages here is i get to talk to a whole bunch of people who've seen the talk and have conversations and quite a few people have said quite a few people who work in this industry whether they're building chatbots or they're building um, alexa skills or whatever have said people say thank you yeah 
and they're quite yeah, surprised. Yeah. Um, apparently, it, this quite through the the actual Alexa developers at Amazon very early on, the people would say please at the end of a question, and they didn't understand that it broke their you know the parser for the questions. Um, for developers out there, you know what I'm talking about, where you get the text and then you've got to understand what that means. And it had this word please at the end of the question, so it didn't register it as a question. And and they were quite surprised until they picked this up from getting a whole bunch of data from people looking through it and saying, wow, people say please, why would they? But to me, that's absolutely correct. Every time someone reacts to your Alexa skill or your Google Home skill or your, your chatbot, like it's a person, even if they're annoyed with it. Being annoyed with it in the way you're annoyed with a person is telling it to get lost. Being annoyed with it the way you are with a computer is just never using the app again. So a response, even if it's an aggravated, annoyed response, suggests that for one tiny moment you manage to have the person respond to you like you're a person and that's the thing we need to manage how how do you make it clear to people who are using it that this is not a human so they're not they don't feel betrayed if it turns out not to be but overcome the social norm that you talk to computers like it's the bash command line where you type a command and then it says syntax error when you get it wrong and we don't have any social norms around this this is such a new field such an mm -hmm. early field that Whoever gets this right will define how we interact yeah, with yeah, computers agree. for the next 10 years. I mean, voice interfaces, they, anything that's been around in sci-fi for ages, eventually will show up and be cool when it happens. Science fiction authors are professionals uh, looking into the future and going, how will people interact with technology? Five, ten, fifty, a hundred, a hundred and fifty, five thousand years from now, depending on whether you know Charlie Stross or Asimov. Yeah. And, and picking up tips from that sort of thing is really useful. Okay. I sure. suspect we could do a whole episode. Sorry, that was really long. A whole, no, that's fine. A, a whole you, season. You can, you can, <laughs> you can soundbite snippet bits out of that. No, I think, I, think we, I think we might keep it, but the thing is, it's, your talk was very thought-provoking. I mean, you Absolutely. know, this is uh, an You would almost think it was designed to be thought-provoking. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I you should do it at a conference, maybe. <laughs> Goodness. <How about> <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but moving on a bit, I just wonder what of the other talks... Did you find interesting? What did you take away from the the other talks? One of the things I found interesting, and this is not trying to avoid picking a favourite, but a lot of the products were um, a lot of the products, a lot of the talks were very product focused, product product development team focused, yeah. and because I'm not a product development person or product owner, um, it was it was great that a lot of them echoed the same message. I particularly mm -hmm. like Dominique's talk. Um, that was on estimates. It was. Um, I, 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 um, she talked about essentially the gap in between your ideal projection of how long a thing will take and the actuality of how long a thing will take. So you've got to bear in mind that people will sometimes be ill, people will sometimes be sad. Um, things take longer than you expect them to. I, Douglas Hofstadter said... Um, Hofstadter's law is things take longer than yeah. you expect even when you take Hofstadter's law into account yeah. and you know a reasonable way to kind of boil down her talk but I really enjoyed that talk but 
everyone echoed the same kind yeah, there of was messages. A, there was definitely a theme, and I always wonder whether that's because there's some kind of collective consciousness. And and because when you you know when you follow people on Twitter as well, you tend to see that, that there are trends, there are certain topics that are, are fashionable for a week, you know, and then and then they disappear for a bit, and then they come back a bit later, you know. And well, one of the one of the things that I would have liked to have seen more of is a lot of what we had described was how it should be, and I totally agree with all of that. But a couple of people in the audience ask questions about, great, I completely agree with everything you've said, but the person who makes the decisions in my organisation doesn't agree. So there's a kind of how do I get there from here mm -hmm. yeah. sort of thing. And yeah. I, I'd like to see product people talking more about not how should the world be when it's great, but given that we have an imperfect rubbish world, yeah. <laughs> how do I convince people to buy into it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I'd almost like to see. I, I wish I could have clicked my fingers in the middle of it, and everyone sat there would, in the chair next to them, have their manager, and then say, "Now listen to this," and then when I go back to my organisation, you'll get what I'm talking about. We need a we need a we need a manager conference. We need a manager comp. We've, we've already talked about Wu Tang Clan camp. I've decided to call it Wu Tang, Wu -Tang Clan, Clan camp. camp. Yeah. Uh, we need a manager. <laughs> if we don't have Matt on this oh, podcast, I'm so we can tell all this to to, to manage. I believe there, there, were, there were plenty of manager conferences, but they have other managers talking. To them. What, sure. what we need <laughs> yeah, is yeah, managers yeah. to come to this sort of thing. Yeah, to, yeah. to I mean, one of the things I like about redevelopers, it, it's um, I, I've never I've never been here before, but one of the things I like about it, having experienced this today. Is it's quite grassrootsy. It's quite community focused in the sense that it's people coming because they like it and enjoy it. Right, okay, I've grabbed another punter from the Redevelop After Party to come talk to us. Welcome, Matt. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, you? Yeah, good. All right, uh, just introduce yourself. Sure, uh, my name's Matt. I'm from a company called Sensei. We do predictive maintenance application. Um, yeah, just here checking out Redevelop. Yeah, okay, cool. And um, uh, we're asking everyone what they're going to take away from today. So what was your favourite talk or the favourite bit you learned? Sure. Um, so my favourite talk was uh, the first talk, actually, was uh, the unpredictably rational. Yeah, um, with Tor. With Tor, yeah. yeah. So talking about um, the, his experiences at Google with the Google Maps API. I thought yeah. that was really interesting. Um, yeah. I thought it was fascinating the, um, when he showed the patterns of the scraping. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I yeah. just thought the in ingenuity of people. So for the people who didn't see the talk, um, he he discussed how they released an API for places. Um, so you could query this API with a geolocation. It would return um, establishments in the area. And other people were trying to scrape it to steal the data. And he showed a couple of techniques they used. And one of them was linear, in which case they were looking for places in rivers and oceans and stuff. And then one that I was impressed with was um, they would choose a location and if they got enough matches back they would then go to another granularity right so yeah, you could say show me everything in 100 metres no, that's probably too short but show me everything in half a kilometre and if there was enough returned they'd say right now show me again but within a quarter of a kilometre right that's yeah how that's right it. yeah and, and I also thought the, the idea of masking out the, the water areas and stuff like that was quite interesting yeah and I think that's, I mean, he said on the talk, right, um, you know, well, first we thought about hiring him, you know, this, this person who was scraping. And I thought that's absolutely right. 
you know, if you come up with those ideas... Like, yeah, although uh, yeah, although they didn't in the end, of course, but... Uh, no, well, I probably, <laughs> yeah, probably couldn't get a visa, you know. Sure, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Do you think there's anything that you've seen today that you're going to take back on, on Monday morning and... So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, one of the other talks was talking about time management and planning, uh, particularly about kind of estimation and how you can plan unexpected things into your estimation process. So I think that, that kind of struck, struck a chord with me in terms of factoring in things like unexpected delays or sick leave and things and yeah. understanding that there's less hours in a week than... Uh, are you a hashtag no estimates guy at heart? Um... I wouldn't say I'm a no estimates guy, but I kind of I don't put too much emphasis on that myself because I I've always felt it's a bit too vague really to mean that much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought that was an interesting takeaway to just kind of. I think when you're in, it's it's interesting because when you're in the situation where that's what you're doing, everything Dom, Dominica said was amazing. You know, like plan for this. Here's how you can uh, deal with ambiguity and changes and that kind of stuff. But for me, I question whether you should even be in that position and maybe your efforts are best placed on not being in a position where you have to try to predict something which I believe is, is, is unpredictable. Yeah that's, yeah, that's right. And, uh, but I think also estimating is only a first stab and you have to be able to take the thing. And if, you're, if, you, if it looks like you're going to meet a deadline, great. If it looks like you're going to miss that deadline, you have to understand that you have to either chop features if you really need to hit that or but if you're gonna adapt but, to it but my argument would be and this isn't to you but if you're going to meet the deadline then you didn't need the estimates because you're going to do it and if you're not going to meet the deadline you didn't need the estimates because they were fucking pointless <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's our you're, first you're gonna, swear word of the You're going to beat that out on the podcast right? Oh. No, no we're, we're, We've got to put the first. E tag on it now <laughs> Yeah But do you know what I mean like like you can't just say estimates are good when everything's all right. Yeah, sure, you know? I, I agree. I, I made this point to someone earlier, which is, like you said, if someone you've either got a deadline or you want estimates. If you've got a deadline, then it's the deadline. Then there's no we'll, point. And we'll that, go on that a that value first. Yeah, yeah. You'll do get done whatever you want to get done, and if you yeah. don't get it done, you don't get it done. I mean, it's it's out the window. And yeah. It's probably not a deadline then, right? Because you're not dead if you didn't meet it. But there we go. <laughs> but, yeah. Sorry, sorry about that, folks. All right, we're now joined by Dan and Tor, um, who were two of the talkers today. Um, we're just going to ask them what, what's going on. So we'll start with you, Tor. Um, so just a quick summary of what you spoke about today, if you don't mind. Yeah, so uh, I was talking about um, the tendency of users to surprise you with their behavior, but in ways which, when you look into it, you realize is entirely rational, and uh, the steps you can take to be prepared for that and, and mitigate the risks of that happening. Yeah, cool. I mean, I think, I've spoken to a few people, I think it really resonated with them. I think most people have an anecdote about a thing that they didn't expect to happen. And I think it's really great how you could frame that in a, in a more commercial context and about how you monetize the Google API and that kind of thing. I thought it was really, uh, really kind of interesting. And uh, Dan, tell us a bit about what you t spoke about. So I spoke about the No Man's Sky website, which is a web property that we help manage and maintain, uh, and just some of the experiences we've had 
scaling and maintaining this this site when it's got such a huge uh, audience and high excitement levels around any announcements and things like that and some of the interesting challenges that we've had uh, revolving around those kind of those update cycles and things like that and i can only sort of imagine the the adrenaline that goes through your veins when someone rings you up and says this isn't working i guess in this case you probably didn't ring up because there was thousands of people with their eyes on this website that that went down kind of what went through your your mind at that moment so yeah i mean we we were we were very much aware of um what what was happening and some of the some of the issues that we needed to look into and address um i think the, the first reaction is how can this be happening because we've checked and double checked and we've tried to be as diligent as we can uh, and then and then the next step is okay let's let's try and fix this which in itself has its own challenges um but but yeah i guess you kind of quickly move on from feeling sorry for yourself and kick into right let's get this sorted and um see if we can see if we can resolve things i think dan you got the um award actually for the most swear words because <laughs> you played the video of when um uh, your the fans i guess the are they community, called, yeah, yeah, yeah the community yeah. saw the launch of the the No Man's Sky update, and uh, I mean, it, that was F-bombs. It, it was a bit of an F-fest, yes. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, as, as we talked about at the time, it's such such an invested and passionate community, and that, you know, they're waiting for these updates and these announcements, and um, yeah, it, it, you know, it's quite quite emotional for them, I think, and um, yeah, as, as kind of demonstrated by that reaction. Uh, and quite interestingly, Tor, you had a similar story about the, the Monzo um, investment round on Crowdcube and how that also broke your site and uh, you had to take it down. Um, maybe you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, so um, I mean, Monzo have raised fundraising on Crowdcube on two occasions in 2016 and 2017. And I think the first time they did that, uh, they the basic philosophy was that they were keen to enable their customers to share in their success. So they were looking to raise another round of fundraising with um, institutional investors, with VCs, but they carved out a million pounds to offer to their um, their users uh, on uh, Crowdcube. And Monzo are known for having a very passionate user base. Um, they added some incentives on top of that to, um, for example, give you a special investor branded Monzo card and to get you to the front of the queue um, for a card. Um, and that was so effective that when the round opened uh, at first, um, we had real problems. The site just didn't stay up, to be blunt. And um, consequently, we had to stop the round. Uh, we had to spend a few days in some you know, fairly intensive re-architecting um, and, and understanding what had happened. Um, and then happily, we were able to come back three days later um, reopen that round and then they uh, successfully raised a million pounds from over 1800 people in just 96 seconds so it was it, it, it ended very well it was a big success and our, our platform became much more robust so much so that they were happy to come back the following year and raise another two and a half million with us um, but it was a stressful time I'm, I'm pretty sure that in no software professionals career if you haven't had an outage like that you, you, you can't call yourself uh, a developer at that point wearing your stripes yeah I mean, the one we had, I mean, this is a silly one, it's nowhere near the scale you had, where all of our sites went down and it turned out that one of our, um, our team members had tripped over uh, the plug and because we were like a young, scrappy startup, the server was in the corner attached to uh, an extension cord, which had accidentally been pulled out the wall. It took us like four hours to find it because we were like, it can't, you know, what's going on? They can't even get to them, you know, and you don't think 
the power's gone, you know. But do you think, I mean, you guys have talked about we made the best preparations, we load tested everything, we were satisfied. Um, Tor, you kind of talked about similar things. And also in Dominica's talk, she talked about estimates and uh, you can estimate all this, but at the end of the day, there will be something that goes wrong. Why don't developers just throw up their hands and go, well, it's, it's, it's futile. I can't, I can't know Why this bother? stuff. I can't know this stuff. Like, what, what reason do we have to live? <laughs> There's a big we're, question we're, we're for a podcast. optimists in spite of all the reasons not to be. <laughs> I, I think there is an element of next time we're going to crack it. And, and it, it, each time you stumble, you, you, you have, it is a learning experience. And as long as, as long as there might be something else next time, and it is, it is frustrating and it is heartbreaking at times. But as long as you're not making that same mistake, you are moving forward. So you, I think you feel some sense of progression. And um, and yeah, I don't know what we'd do if everything went perfect all the time. Then I think we'd have to quit. <laughs> okay. So what about other people's tour? What was your favourite talk from the rest of the crew? Um, so and, and if you don't say Dan because he's sitting here. <laughs> Well, obviously, <laughs> but uh, in addition to Dan's, um, no, I, uh, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I've been a product manager now f- uh, for for almost ten years, and um, uh, and my role at Crowdcube was uh, was uh, leading the product team, and uh, so John's talk about what makes a good product owner, obviously, uh, was was a, a kind of interesting to um, to, to to hear. Uh, hearing that perspective, I think obviously you know the kind of product owner versus product manager debate rages on, um, but there's you know certainly a lot of overlap there, and so um, just really nailing that understanding of uh, you know of what makes someone really great at that role was interesting. Okay, Dan, did you have a favourite? I don't think I had a particular favourite. I, I thoroughly enjoyed all of the talks, and what what I did find quite surprising and quite fulfilling was the fact there were some recurring themes that just kept coming out through the talks, like this whole you know we are all human and sharing these mistakes and trying to make, you know, help each other through these things and, and prepare for these kind of things to happen um, there was a lot of consistent themes looking at uh, lean manufacturing which is something that I've got some experience in the past as well so it's nice to see perhaps some, some kind of convergence of, um, of opinion and best practice and just seeing these kind of same, same um, practices echoed through various different talks and different slants on it I, I found that really interesting Cool, okay. And I think in closing, uh, Tor, we, we saw your CV in your talk, Crowdcube, Google, Sun Microsystems, but I think everyone really needs to know about what happened in the fish and chip shop. What, what, did, you, <laughs> what did you learn from serving fish and chips? Um, what did I learn? You know, my mental arithmetic improved dramatically in that time, <laughs> uh, although only in multiples of five pence. Um <laughs> Uh, although that sadly didn't last. I did learn how to fold uh, a portion of chips correctly into paper. Um, my favorite moment was one a very, very wet September afternoon. It was absolutely pouring with rain. Uh, and I, I'd you know, been behind the counter for several hours and we barely had one or two people. And then this lovely little old lady who must have been in her 80s came in with a walking stick and bought a Walls Twister. <laughs> and that to me is just said everything that's right with the world like, like I don't care what the weather is I'm having an ice cream and I'm 80 years old and I can do what I like and I just thought power to you okay we're here with Dan and Adam from ATEC Media part of the 
uh, team that put the event on. Welcome. Thank you. Hiya. Hi. Uh, so we're asking everyone, what, what was your takeaways from today? What did you enjoy? Uh, what do you think you've learned? You know. I think there was uh, a, a really good sort of focus on collaboration and teamwork and how important open communication is this year. So like every year sort of has a theme emerge through the day. Um, you know, the years we've had like, don't be a dick is a good sort of maxim. <laughs> but th this year it was definitely sort of trust the people around you um, and you'll sort of increase your productivity without really trying. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Mm. Uh, yeah, I know that that's probably reflected in the uh, organisation of the um, the whole day yeah, as well. Um, lots of lots of things to do. Um, I I've kind of been in the background. I haven't done an awful lot um, personally. I just came and helped out on the day. But Dan here has been working very very hard um, along with the chaps at base to yeah. get the sponsorship organised and get the speakers organised and things like that. Um, so, and, and as organisers, kind of what do you want to? get out the day or what do you want other people to get out of the day we want everyone to sort of leave the day um feeling energized like they've learned something and that there's something they can not necessarily just apply to their work life but maybe to their everyday life as well um that's why i got into coming to conferences and that's sort of why we helped put this one on yeah mm. and what's the um what's the secrets what went wrong that none, none of us saw <laughs> oh well question. just before everyone sort of got in we found that the venue didn't have the video inputs that we thought they had um, so we were sort of scrabbling around we were basically saved by um, Dan Thomas who had an active HDMI to VGA converter which was a bit janky but mostly worked this is the real so, stuff that people want to know this yeah. is good it, this is inclusive journalism it was from Maplin so we can't do that again yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right it's a precious well, never going to yeah. go now if oh, we, we couldn't have done it. We, we, well, I mean, we'd have been shuffling around PowerPoint or keynote files all day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it, you recovered because I don't think anybody noticed. Yeah, that's, that was the plan. So it, it gave us a bit of like five or ten minutes of a late start, but it was okay. No one noticed. Everyone was enjoying breakfast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, good food, but I think I came for the food. That was my, uh, my thing. I think that was well worth the entry fee. It's, good, it's good. a good so. way to get people out of their office. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, breakfast, yeah. Yeah, top notch. Um, and so, I mean, was there, any, uh, was there anything that particularly stood out for you as a, uh, you know, a, a talk? Well, I guess you, uh, maybe you guys didn't see much of it because you were running around yeah, um, doing stuff. Not, not, I didn't see any talks, unfortunately, but I'm very much looking forward to, well, I want to watch all of them um, when I can. But I think um, Team in 10 Minutes and um, also, um, you know, learning from the Wu-Tang Clan. Who doesn't want to yeah, learn yeah. from them? <laughs> well, so. The Wu-Tang Clan popped up a lot today. Yeah, there's, lots yeah, of there's, another, there's another theme there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I feel like there might be room for a Wu-Tang conference, <laughs> actually, off the back of that. <laughs> Ask Matt when he comes <laughs> in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wu-Tang Clan Conf. Clan Conf. Clan Conf. WTCC. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. It's on. It's on. Quickly, yeah. For myself, coming into it, I was really looking forward to the UX of text by Stuart Language. I thought that'd be good. And, and sort of the other standout talks of the day for me were um, the Outrage Economy by Dan Harvey. Uh, there's a lot to take. There's a lot to take away from that, and it was sort of depressing, but yeah. it, in, in a way that sort of gives you something to think about um, and maybe some way to improve the world a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I thought um, Dominica did a great talk on things you wish you'd shared with your team before they agreed on that deadline. Yeah. There was a lot of sort of handy hints for that for 
making your estimates more accurate. So, mm-hmm. so are you guys in the hashtag no estimates crew or? Uh, uh, we're, we're in the hashtag very rough estimates crew. Yeah, I would <laughs> say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah T-shirt sizes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, the way yeah, you do it. That's yeah, the way you do it. pretty much. So we're joined by John LeDrew and Tom Geraghty, who presented today. Uh, guys, you just want to give us a quick 15 words or less. What did you talk about? John? 15 words or less. I've already used a few of them. This feels a little bit like just a minute. I have to beatbox it. Um, I need another drink for that. Is the, is the tab still open? So, um, yeah, so I spoke about product ownership. Um, the main thing for me is that we see a lot of product owners and they're really not practicing good product ownership and i think that the practice of product ownership is something that can be dealt with by an entire team or an entire organization and you can take ownership of the product collectively and that was the the heart of my message um and i can't remember what my five pillars were because i've already had three gin and tonics so uh, i'm going <laughs> to okay. hand over to tom for for his deep message thanks thanks <laughs> So yeah, so my my talk was about the evolution of DevOps over the last hundred years, uh, going from the manufacturing revolution, Henry Ford, the assembly line, Deming, uh, and the Toyota way, all the way through to cloud technology and automation and all the cool DevOps stuff that people are doing nowadays and where they're going to take it in the future and the fact that it's it's now in their hands. I was um, on your talk. I'm I'm not from a DevOps background at all, but one of the things that I uh, wanted to ask you is, throughout your talk, you seem to separate the Dev and the Ops, and then at some point on the timeline it converged. Mm. Whereas other people I've heard talk about it as it comes from development and they take ownership of Ops. Mm. What would you say to that? I think it's very much a convergent thing. I think in some organisations it can come from ops, and some organisations it comes from dev. I think, I think the the main thing is that there's a motivation and a culture right. of yeah, yeah. of integration and and uh, you know helping each other. And like like the Google thing, that was very much a kind of. I, I feel like the SIRES, uh, you know, ops people that do some dev, uh, but in other organisations, other places, you're going to have devs that start. Getting getting stuck into ops. Right. Okay. okay. Certainly, one of the things that you mentioned, and I always think is important, is this idea that someone can be a DevOps, that that's their job title. And it's really important to emphasise that that's not what it's about. No. As soon as you've got Dev and Ops and DevOps, then you've got a problem. Yeah, we were we were actually talking about this over breakfast, weren't we? Yeah. It's the, the the problem I have is that it's like we used to have Dev and we used to have ops and obviously they hated each other and that was the history of, of the world um, and then we had DevOps and now we have Dev and DevOps <laughs> and they hate each other <laughs> um, and I and I just I find the basic it's like it's like wait a sec when people are talking to me about their DevOps team it's like it's like do you understand why you look at the name DevOps you see how it, it merges two things yeah. together, kind or, of or like they might be have, collaborating. Or worse, you have three teams. You have the dev team, the ops team, and the DevOps team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, I've seen that too. Yeah, I've worked in organizations that have three teams, uh, yeah, a dev team, an ops team, and a DevOps team sitting in the middle, 
Yeah, yeah. Because you know they can't talk to each other. Yeah, exactly. They need yeah. they need yeah. someone to translate. The DevOps becomes a, becomes like a product owner of yeah, <laughs> of, yeah. of developer yeah. and operations. Like yeah. how do you how do you fight that? How do you stop that happening in organisations? Again, everything comes back to culture. It, it it entirely comes back to culture, and it, it's also very hard, as I pointed out in a talk, to 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 steer this from the top down. It has to come from the bottom up. And it's about getting devs, whoever they are, at whatever level, engaged in 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 what operations means. Particularly now in a cloud world where you can use code to to build infrastructures, to, to scale infrastructures and do you know, make infrastructure do stuff. Um, and and so it's about getting those people who who have the ability to code and, and and an understanding of code to use that ability to make stuff happen with infrastructure and understand the operational demands of stuff like scaling and peaks in demand and, and stuff like that so John if I can come to your talk one of the things that struck me you talked about Frederick Wilmslow Taylor and his frankly quite brutal opinions on uh, on, on people who, who shoveled pig iron and um, uh, making them more efficient. And one of the things you mentioned was they thought they were craftsmen. And so Taylor coming in and saying, you're not craftsmen, here's the shovel that you used, just gone to it. And a lot of, uh, of times these days we talk about software craftsmanship. Do you think that's a bad thing for the industry? Do you think we should all give up trying to be craftsmen and just crack on with it? Well... On a point of equality, I will say that I do think craftsmen is a problem, but craftspeople are awesome. But on another point is that, yeah, I, I think that, no, I don't think that at all. I think that the contrast that I tried to make when I talk about Toyota, funnily enough, we, we covered a lot of the same ground, is that actually the difference with Toyota compared to Taylor is that they do regard their people as craftspeople. The thing is, is they still have standardized work. They still work in a consistent fashion because that just makes sense. If you have 10 people all shoveling pig iron, it does not make sense for them all to do it completely differently. The point is, is that they actually all do it the way that they all think is the best way <laughs> and they do that using experimentation and forming consensus around what the best way is and that evolves over time because actually the way they work will evolve with their context i.e if a situation changes if they have to work faster if they have to work slower if they have to change the way that they're working so in Toyota obviously they are building cars a particular model of car will change the way they work on a particular production line um, different people will change the way they work As if the team changes the context changes so what it's important it's the same this is the same in agile software teams is that whatever you're doing the way you're working needs to be relevant to the context of your the way you're working context is people plus work it's those things and if you're doing exactly the same thing as every other team in your organization following exactly the same process there's a good chance that the process and the way you're working isn't actually um, tailored got to use Taylor there we go tailored to the way that you're to your context and your situation that's the most important thing that's where and, and I think that's where you can absolutely have craftspeople in those teams because they're going to be they're the experts they're the people that know what the right way to work is all right so here's a big question the other talks who else did you what, what stuck in your mind from the other talks 
which talk stuck in my mind the most? I really, really loved the Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, I, I have a lot of appreciation for Tom's session as I'm sat opposite him, but the Wu-Tang Clan stuff, it really resonated with me. The content was bang on. The music was great. <laughs> and, and actually, his... Um, I was a bit skeptical when I spoke to him at first. I wasn't sure if it would be a bit gimmicky, um, but actually, his—he was referencing really solid research, and and a lot of I, I I speak a lot on team building and team dynamics. It's something that's a real core of my work. So I was just like, oh, he's really nailed it. He's referenced a lot of stuff. So for me, that was that was solid, entertaining, and and great. He needs to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, I think a, a lot of people who agree with you, Tom. What was your yeah, for for me it was uh, Dan Harvey's outrage economy. Um, I it's 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 an area very much outside of my area of expertise. I didn't. It's not something I've studied. It's not something I really know about. But it was really interesting. Um, it's very interesting to see the ways that social media and it's the the unintended consequences of the imp- the implementation of technology has resulted in in, in this. In, in yeah in people in people being cruel to each other yeah that's true yeah all right Good. Uh, can i just congratulate you john on being the first speaker i've seen who coordinated his clothing with his slides <laughs> which i thought was a great conscious. move <laughs> for, for, for the listeners john is dressed in hot pink trousers uh, a yellow top a a knitted rainbow tie beaded rainbow tie oh yeah i can see lovely yeah yeah, yeah that's i can feel the quality yeah uh, so very much matches his pink and yellow slides which is awesome all right we're a few drinks in so i think this is our, our last one of the night well, we might play we might not play them in this order that would confuse people oh, man it's the magic of radio yeah again okay but uh punter would you like to introduce yourself Yes, I'm Jos Cruz Lambert, or also known as Jorge. Um, basically, I'm a developer, was a developer, and now acting as a software architect as well. And um, yeah, I'm quite enjoying this time in Redevelop. So tell us about uh, what was your best talk of the day? What, what really struck a chord with you? I think the best talk was uh, talking about the estimation and, and time, basically, in, in, in Redevelop. It was um, the talk related to thinking about how you estimate and making sure that you're taking in account as well so much uncertainty about it. For, for everyone else, this was Dominica's uh, talk. Yeah. We should point out, by the way, I think all of these will be available online. Yeah, redevelop.io. At some point when we, when we go out, so people can watch these and, and reference them. Mm. And uh, So... Talking about so much uncertainty in estimates, mm-hmm. is there any point, really, in estimating? I think, and I, w- I will use your sentence, it depends. <laughs> oh, no, we're not called that anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you, it. You're a few episodes out. <laughs> that's the old reference. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, rewind. Shh, don't mention it, don't mention it. <laughs> we'll cut that bit in. <laughs> so, basically, I think sometimes you need estimates. I think it, it depends as well on, on how your business is uh, is built around. Um, but then sometimes what I find is to create artificial deadlines that you need to estimate as well. So if you have, for example, a project where you have uh, some money on it and you have a 
hard deadline on it. What's it? Why you, do you need to estimate like middle? Exactly. In fact, tasks, we just spoke right? to someone else, and and that was what we came up with. If there's a deadline, yeah, there's no estimates. Yeah, there's, there's no point in estimating. You just go through the backlog. Mm -hmm. You you focus your efforts on value first prioritization, mm -hmm. and whatever gets done gets done, and you are guaranteed that the best that could have got done got done. Because my question is, why do you need estimates? What is the ultimate goal of an estimate? To make the hippos happy. But is, is that necessary? Well, so, sometimes you you need to you need that to make a decision about whether it's worth investing. That's Some, true. Sometimes, yeah, that's I, true. I, yeah, sometimes yeah. I need to but know. But that doesn't it, involve it, a deadline, does it? No, no. And I, I, I agree that as soon as you've involved a deadline, you might as well just crack on and do it. Yeah, just get going. Um, but, but you're right. If you if you're saying right, do I do the project A or project B? Uh, an understanding of the cost. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. But then it was. But, uh, I would also argue, in reference to that talk specifically, mm -hmm. taking into account whether someone's going to be sick or whether someone's not feeling very good on that day, is also kind of futile because it's such a it's such a wide range. You know, here we're talking about estimates on the order of it's going to be either three months or six months, not. But but we'll you do it in three days or four days. But you always have a factor, right? So when someone say to you, "Okay, this is going to take two weeks." Are you taking that for the ultimate through, or are yeah. you thinking about okay, this guy is saying two weeks. That means two weeks per. I don't know, multiply by two point two or yeah. two point five or something like that. But two weeks is not an investment decision. Two week, two weeks is a. I want to know when it's going to be yes. done. Yes. Decision. I right? agree. So, uh, yeah, and to the point. Well, you know, I. I do, do I care whether it's two weeks or two and a half weeks? Maybe. I don't think so, really, mm -hmm. like in my experience. Um, I mean, I th I actually, the, the, the content of the talk was valid. I think you have to think about these things. And, and if you'll remember back in the days when we had continuous story pair days or mm -hmm. something like that, which was an attempt to deal with the vagaries of... You know, whether you were, well, hang on, am I estimating a day when no one interrupts me or am I estimating a and day? Is it, is it a day in summer or yeah, is it a day exactly. in yeah, yeah, mid-autumn, you know, because yeah. there's half the team's off on summer exactly. and no one's off in autumn. And to be honest, at the end of the day, you can't really hold that in your head. You can't really estimate on that on that kind of level. But so basically, basically you're saying that it's important to have estimations when you need to make a business decision. I think it, I think it's a it's um it's a it's a size thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. If you're making a business decision at a certain size, yeah, you know, which is weeks or months or years, yeah, yeah, maybe that's an important input into that decision-making process. If you're prioritizing iterations of backlogs to to achieve a deadline that's already set, maybe but not. I, but I think when you when you're talking about estimation about month, for example, or or even years then I think it's really important to go down to the details and have a bit more time to actually itemize what are this estimation. Because sometimes what happens is you have like an estimation which is a big feature and then they want you to know how long it would take, but it's going to be quite helpful to go down to your product, product owner or project manager and say, okay, what I mean by that is these type of things. 
Yeah, that's a, but the trouble with that is that the project hasn't been agreed yet, so that's all waste, isn't it? And I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but the, the question is how far into that detail do I go knowing that the risk is that it doesn't pay off and I just don't do it at all? And I think that's what, what a lot of teams struggle with because you could spend weeks yeah, working trying to out, figure out splitting yeah, it yeah. down and, and um, then getting the team together and we're going to estimate all these stories and then add them all up and then that's the big project cost yeah for and that you have goes, like high level, high level estimations right yeah. Yeah. and that's that's, that, that's a question I wanted to ask Dominica but it didn't come up about uh, estimated units mm -hmm. you know um, I think she did use the word um, points at one point So I think she's one point, point, point. point. <laughs> so I think she's in that world. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna make a, a, a controversial statement. I like controversial. Which is estimates are really for managers to know whether their team is going uh, are going as fast as they can. But that's that. That's an interesting thing. Is that down to psycho psychology, really, of um, you know people feeling? good because they have some figures in front of them instead of saying okay how much value I deliver right instead of having a figures there's actually a, a lot of uncertainty and then what happened as well is you have a lot of uncertainty and then you build more uncertainty based on that so you start estimating and having a plan for example for a year so you start estimating for the first thing and say okay that's going to take uh, let's say two weeks Then, based on that, you say, okay, then when I finish that, this is going to take um, another two weeks or three weeks. And then you're starting to create a kind of imaginary plan that you're not going to have to commit, right? But it's, it's easy to measure, isn't it? It's easy to kind of go, well, this is your estimate and this is how long that you, you took. So then it kind of feels nice and, nice and fluffy. It's, it's harder to say, here's the value that you delivered. Mm -hmm. I just can't help but think that um, the whole conversation and Dominica's um, conclusion was basically velocity. Like, you know, when she was talking about, um, you know, all these things that you take off and you, you adjust for this eventuality and this eventuality, I just think that's velocity because that's meant to accommodate that after a certain number of iterations. Mm -hmm. You know, your velocity, and I know there's arguments against velocity, should accommodate all of those things Um, as part of that number. So you think that measuring velocity in every sprint you came with the same measure as Dominica said? My current approach is number of stories, mm -hmm. so not size of stories. Um, and I do look back and see how we've performed in previous iterations to get an idea of what we might be able to do in the future. And, and maybe to Mark's point, Um, I, I'm, I'm looking for trends. I'm not looking for numbers. Are we moving up or are we moving down? You know, um, yeah. and, and mostly, are we moving down? And then, and then it's just a conversation that I put into retro to say, right, you know, we're 20% down. What was it? And normally, there's a very valid reason for it. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And then we carry on. And then next time it happens again, you know. Hey, Greg, what happened to our own thoughts about the conference? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we got a couple in, uh, but yeah, didn't really get to talk about our own um, our own feedback. No, we were a little bit tired and emotional by the end of it, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was quite excitable, uh, yeah, and were, probably and therefore drank a bit too much. So uh, I tell you what, how about we save up our thoughts for next time and put it into its very own podcast episode? I think that is a great idea.
In the meantime, listeners, please get in touch with us on Twitter at BitPicking if you've got any feedback or any comments. Uh, and we should say thank you as well, Greg, to all the people that stopped and spoke to us. Yeah, that's true. In fact, at one point we had a little queue of people wanting to, to get involved. So thank you to them. <laughs> BitPicking Live was, was, was on the go then. I thought we were selling tickets for it. Oh, I Maybe think that's, that's, a, yeah, that's next year. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, Greg. So, well, see you next time, mate. Bye. All right. Cheers, mate.